Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan Jayaraj, with the College Football Insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. And you can become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson here. Ish, how you doing? Yo, what's up, man? I'm watching Wednesday afternoon football, I guess. Why would you admit that? You know, I don't like... know. It's, it's, a little, it's a little thing. It's shaking it up a little bit. I always just say, hey, what's up, or nothing much. But now I'm watching RG3 quarterback at game in 2020 so you know well, yeah. oh it? he just fumbled so that, oh, that. come on man come on Robert what you doing what you doing uh wasn't it wasn't it Mike Tomlin who like talked some crap about Mac football and now he's playing on a Wednesday <laughs> <laughs> that's great I don't know I, I didn't hear about that that's awesome yeah yeah I think it was Tomlin because I believe that it was uh, I, I believe Roethlisberger then came back and was like don't talk down uh to to Mac football because obviously he went to Miami of Ohio and he also yeah. said uh, I if I remember right I, I believe then he also said I would trash talk William and Mary if I knew what conference it was in because that's what that's where uh that's where Tomlin went to school so mm. you know Wednesday football, sure, fine. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm much more excited to watch Baylor versus Illinois basketball tonight. That's going to be a whole uh, lot yes. better. Oh my gosh, that's going to be so much fun. A whole lot better than some garbage football game <laughs> that's happening at 2.30 p.m. on a Wednesday. Uh, but look, we got to get right into it. We've actually got a lot to talk about uh, today. So let's start off uh, with some scheduling stuff. So UTEP versus Southern Miss and Houston versus SMU are off the schedule. Houston versus SMU actually hasn't been confirmed as yet, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not gonna happen this weekend. Apparently some uh, some cases right now in SMU's football program. Um, and actually Joseph Duarte from the Houston Chronicle actually said that the, uh, the specific group affected is actually the quarterbacks, which obviously that's not the best of news, even for, uh, for maybe the week after this. Um, I actually, actually this might be, this might be SMU's last uh, scheduled game, but it, it would mean that rescheduling the game would potentially be very difficult. So, yeah, I mean, not the greatest. Uh, also, for people who maybe didn't see UTEP, they went through a shutdown. They lost last week's game against Rice uh, after some positive cases right before the game. They came back, PCR tested them, and apparently a lot of those uh, antigen tests that showed up positive ended up being false uh, positives, unfortunately. So they're just kind of in this weird situation, but the Southern Miss game still isn't happening. They still plan apparently to play against North Texas in two weeks on December 12th, I think it is. Uh, but just, just I, knew, I know that we all knew that this sort of stuff was going to happen, but man, it's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's like so hard to keep up at this point with just everything that's going on. Right, yeah. Um, I, think right before, I think right when we logged onto this call, I was like, hey, we had a game canceled. Like, just like, it was like, <laughs> Something else is going on. Something else is happening. But, um, yeah, it's it's. Have we even have we figured out like UTSA and all that stuff yet? Because don't they have like, isn't like their conference fate kind of hanging in the balance of something like that? Yeah. So and and this was also one that just came out. UAB versus Middle Tennessee was canceled, and 
the weird the, the weird thing right now about UTSA is that UTSA has played, I believe, seven conference games out of eight. Like, I think they only lost one. And I think it was actually – was it the game against UAB? I, I can't even remember right now. Mm. Um, so they only lost – no, no, no. I think it was against Rice, actually. Um, yeah, they lost the game against Rice, which is a game that's very unlikely to be made up just because mm. Rice is still – running to try to fill any slot that they can they did play UAB early in the year and it was a close game that's right um so yeah it, it's a weird situation because UTSA is five and two in conference right now uh whereas on the other hand UAB is I believe two and one right now mm-hmm. and I think that what they've said is that they're going to for the conference title game and for like conference championship reasons they're going to take the team that's in first place based on winning percentage, I believe, but uh-huh. they're also going to do it based on like, you have to have played. It, it was, I, I think I mentioned this last week, but like, it's like the most bizarre sort of calculation where it's like, you have to have played within two games of what the average team in your division played. So sure. That, yeah. That's obviously bizarre. Cause, cause the other thing too, is again, UTSA is going to play seven games. We're potentially in a position where UAB is going to play four games, which, I mean, obviously seems a little unfair. <laughs> and right. so, um, and we'll see, obviously, they lost Middle Tennessee from this week. Uh, and then Rice, they're scheduled to play next week. And if they win one of those two games, and I think technically, right, they'd be three and one with a 75% mm-hmm. winning percentage, whereas uh, whereas UTSA would kind of get screwed because they'd be five and two, which would be like a seventy-one percent winning percentage. Ah, here we go. I have, uh, our good friends at Alamo Dome Audible, uh, one of the best UTSA podcasts out. Uh, they broke down broke it down for us. There okay, are four okay. scenarios for the uh, conference USA West. So USA U- UAB has the Rice game canceled. UTSA wins the West. Yes. UAB loses to Rice. UTSA wins the West. Yes. UTSA wins rescheduled eighth conference game. UTSA wins the West. UAB beats Rice. UAB wins the West. Like, that sucks. That really yeah. sucks. I mean, <laughs> the, the idea that this all rides on UAB just having to play against Rice, which, by the way, do you know when UAB played their last football game? Do you know the date? Uh, I do not. It was Halloween. <laughs> it was Halloween. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they lost to Louisiana Tech. So, like, that's the last that we saw of UAB. And, and, you know, UAB is obviously a very good team who hasn't gotten a chance to prove it very much this year just because they haven't gotten to play. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of sucks at the same time that basically not participating could potentially mean that UTSA gets screwed out of a bid to the conference championship game. But And also, I believe, I believe in that release, UAB said they're trying to reschedule a game for this weekend to yeah. potentially make up that so they – theoretically they have two chances to to kind of box utsa out i think right well and and the thing is it is weird because the rice game is on the schedule they obviously can't replace with middle tennessee north texas Mm -hmm. is scheduled to play this thursday so they're not an option uh and utep and southern miss i think it's charlotte i think they're trying to reschedule charlotte really i think let me see that's kind of well they weren't charlotte wasn't on the original schedule Weren't they? Okay. Well, let me see. I'm trying to think. There, I, I feel like I saw Charlotte's name somewhere. Yeah. I mean, in, and they like, might make up or some kind. Or not a makeup, but obviously. Yeah. I mean, they might just be adding a conference game, which would make some right. sense. 
Um, but yeah, because it, it is a weird situation because UTEP and Southern Miss obviously are not having this game this weekend. UTEP was the one who called off that game after what happened last weekend, but now UTEP mm-hmm. sounds like they're actually able to participate. But I doubt that they'd be able to organize that with UTEP that quickly with, with just everything that's going on. Sure. And because uh, I think they also need to do a second round of testing to confirm the, the negative, you know, so I don't think that they've had practice or anything. Uh, you know, maybe Southern Miss could be an option. You know, it's just one state over two in Mississippi versus Alabama. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other thing that I'll say with all of this is that the teams that we're mentioning right now, none of them are good conference USA teams. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so like, so like actually, if UAB were, were to play against Charlotte, that's better news for UTSA because that's a game that they could conceivably lose. So I don't know exactly what the plan is going to be. I really do hope that UTSA gets another chance to play a football game uh, more than anything. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens, obviously. Uh, the one other thing, and actually this does involve another Conference USA team, TCU has scheduled a non-conference game, which will be their 10th uh, their 10th game of the season, their lone non-conference game of the season. Uh, they were not, unfortunately, able to play against SMU. SMU was required to leave December 12th open because of the American potentially trying to reschedule games for that weekend. And obviously now, I mean, if, if they're losing potentially key players due to COVID, they could still be out at that point, too, is obviously another consideration. But, um, but they're going to play against Louisiana Tech. So a game that they should win um, – I don't really – I mean, I guess you just do it for the revenue. I mean, I guess you just do it to, to play 10 games and potentially go 5-5 five and five and say you didn't finish below 500 for two straight years for the first time since 1987. I guess that's right. why you – but the point is I don't really see why you, why you bother doing this, um, but they are. So they're going to be uh, – RG3 just do a pick six. Oh, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. Oh, geez. <laughs> going great. Uh, Wednesday football, man. Every- <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that everyone just turns into the Mac whenever they play Wednesday football. So, um, Okay, so let's go ahead, actually, and just get straight into our interview. We've got Danny Davis yep. from over at the Austin American Statesman. Great conversation with him about all things Texas. Uh, obviously, just a weird situation. What, and I guess we'll mention before we go in, if you haven't seen the news, two Texas captains, by the way, not just players, but captains, have opted out the remaining two games of the college football season. Offensive tackle, uh, Samuel Cosme is the first one. And then Texas safety, Caden Stearns, uh, Cosme was kind of seen as potentially a round one or two pick. We really don't know what NFL teams are going to think about Caden Stearns. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a freshman All-American. I mean, he was he was that dude as a freshman, right? I, yeah, I basically tweeted out, like, I do, I, I'm not surprised that Stearns is leaving because yeah, yeah. he saw his stock absolutely plummet. Plummet. The more he played under these coaches. And I think what it – I think we can look at like everybody from that class or from Tom Herman's classes that they do have a developmental issue. And because of the fact that he came out so strong as a freshman showed where his talent level was. And I don't think we can really chalk it to him as plateauing or or regressing. Like I based off of what we saw that again, that year he was that defense and he was so good and so explosive and so dynamic in in just impacting every game until, you know, he got kind of hurt towards the end. But I think that 
he long story short, he doesn't know that staff anything else because he's already given them basically his guaranteed NFL future. Like, like I said, he was a nailed on first round prospect after his freshman year. And now he's probably hoping for a late day two, day three status pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that a team is going to find him, fall in love with him. And, and I think he'll end up in a good position, but, but it's just, I think more than anything, the thing that's frustrating is you talk about the player development issue. You look back at this 2018 class, this could have been like a goat level defensive back class, right? Like, and there's the thing, like, People love to say, like, oh, that's why stars don't matter. And I was like, no, trust me. No, like, every single recruiting site wasn't wrong. Like, <laughs> every single recruiting site had this as, like, the best defensive back class in we've seen easily the best uh, in Texas history. One of the best classes overall that we've seen for Texas going back to Mac yeah. Brown. Like, all-time class. No, yeah. And, like, you can't tell me that every single scouting person missed, right? Because – these guys they weren't just like nobodies in high school too they were studs and stars in high school had the physical capabilities to translate that and for whatever reason obviously i think we can show a little bit that you know that it's been uh herman's development and herman's staff's development that they just missed right that they just missed in terms of developing these guys like we've seen similar players of this stature go and be stars at Ohio State, at LSU, at Alabama. Like, it's not the recruiting sites that are incorrectly, you know, de- uh, evaluating these guys. It's the it's a lack of development. Right. And and just to, to point out that class, okay, they had one, two, three, four guys who were top 100 defense, uh, t- top 100 players who were defensive mm-hmm. backs. The Caden Stearns and BJ Foster, who were 19 and 24 respectively. Jalen Green was number 47. DeMarvian Overshone, who has come on this year, but obviously hasn't played like the number 52 player in the country. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Anthony Cook, who, man, that was that was that dude at cornerback, you know, coming out of mm-hmm. high school. And it's, it's just... Like the best player, the best players probably, I mean, he's really good, but Keandre Coburn, but he was like, he's not like he wasn't like the crown jewel of that class. He was another good player, right? In, in a typical or average class, he's probably the crown jewel, but like, yeah, he was, he was well, just kind of like, I don't want to say he was, he was more of a surplus, I guess, right, in that class right. where you're well, like, oh man, and they got Keandre Coburn. Right. Well, and, and Joseph Osai was in that class too. So oh, he was, okay. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So, so he's, he's the guy who kind of came along and, and became a guy, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you look, you look up and down this list and the problem, like you mentioned is not talent. That really has right. not been the issue at Texas. I mean, they recruit at a very high level. And, you know, we, we don't really address that even uh, so much with Danny. But, mm-hmm. you know, I do definitely think that bringing in a top three class and getting top 20 results, basically, from it, mm-hmm. that is the sort of thing that you look at and you're like, you didn't do enough, even if, you know, you potentially – again, I, I think that it's fair to say that Tom Herman has not been, like, a disaster on the field but it just clearly hasn't been in line with what he's done off the field as well. So anyway, I think looking at, well, I'm looking at the, to kind of put in perspective of where that class as a whole was, right. Cause again, people love to bring this back to star ratings and oh, this is the problem with X, Y, and Z. Right. You know, who else was in that class? Patrick Sertan, the uh, junior Jalen Waddle, uh, Justin Fields. Like these are guys that obviously can play football <laughs> and the, they were rated just as highly as some of those Texas guys. So it wasn't like they were just gassing up Texas players and, you know, high over hyping. Nobody's like they knew what they were doing with a lot of these guys. Yeah. It, it, 
look, you can miss on maybe a couple of guys because like maybe an evaluation was wrong or maybe they just didn't develop the way that you thought that they would. But to, and I don't think these guys were misses by any means, but like to not get the most out of five guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's like, that's historic stuff to, to get right. five top hundred guys at defensive back and really none of them peak past their freshman season. So mm-hmm. anyway, we're going to get to it with Danny. Uh, we'll be right back with you after the break. We're pleased to welcome on now a very special guest. We got Danny Davis from over at the Austin American Statesman. Danny, how you doing? I'm doing good. How's, how's everyone doing? How's the life? We're finally getting close to the end of this crazy year. So I guess that's a, that, that's a positive thing for some of us. <laughs> yeah. I, look, 2020 has been a weird one. Uh, obviously, I don't need to tell you this college football season has been extra bizarre, but I will say, uh, you know, we had sort of this happen with, uh, with Ish. Most of these games for Texas have been played. So it's kind of been like uh, being suspended in like, I, I don't even know. Like they, they've just managed to keep these Texas Longhorns games going along and kind of a, it's been like a waking nightmare is how I describe Texas State for Ish. And it kind of feels like that for Texas too. Yeah, I mean, the only game that's been canceled was the one no one wanted to go to. The, the cancel, Kansas game, I guess it just got postponed. But you know, maybe maybe it does eventually get canceled. So, you know, Texas has managed to uh, keep this train moving. And uh, for the most part, they've avoided uh, you know, any crazy issues. Although I'm still angry that I wasn't able to go to Baton Rouge uh, this uh, this fall. That, w- that was a game I was really looking forward to and kind of bummed I'm going to miss out. On, I missed out on that one. Yeah, hopefully that one gets rescheduled. But here, here's the big thing, right? Okay, so obviously all these rumors after, uh, after Texas's loss to Iowa State about – the team kind of being in disarray about Tom Herman's job being at stake, uh, obviously with the opt-outs as well. Where do you kind of feel like things stand right now within the Texas program? I, I, I don't know. I mean, this is, I mean, that's the million dollar question. Um, it definitely does seem like Tom's um, job is definitely on the ropes at best um, right now. Um, if you're reading media reports in the Austin area, which I'm sure if you're listening to this interview, you are, um, you know, it kind of seems like he's, he's on his way out, but um, there are still some hurdles that need to be cleared and some answers or questions that need to be answered as far as how exactly Texas is going to afford firing a coach with that much money on his um, contract left and then bringing in another coach. that's not going to be cheap regardless of who that coach is um, during a pandemic in which they've had to, fire a bunch of people and I know that money isn't all the same it comes from different um, areas but still to see optics of that and um, still there is a pandemic that's been hurting a lot of people's wallets Um, so you know Tom's a big question you know the players are a big question with two players opting out this this week just kind of where where they are in their headspace Um, this is the first time in a long time a lot of these athletes have essentially been playing in games that don't matter which is what this Kansas and this Kansas State games are they don't really matter for Texas's standing um they don't matter for these players um it's two trips to to Kansas nothing against uh, that fine state but who cares Mm -hmm. um and then you know you know at worst if Texas loses these two games what you drop from the Alamo Bowl the Texas Bowl and that's you know Texas played both those games so um you know it's just just a weird time I mean these next two weeks are just gonna be strange um the players are kind of in a in a weird space the coaches are obviously in a weird space trying to come up with game plans when there's questions about their job security. Yeah, the leg department is in a weird space with how they're gonna handle handle this. The media is in a weird space because we're chasing 46 different angles and 
it seems like every time I turn on Twitter, there's some other rumor that's being reported by someone else that, you know, people have to look into. And it's, it's just a strange, it's been a strange couple of weeks. And I have a feeling as long as, um, you know, Crystal Conte doesn't come out and either fire Tom Herman or give him a vote of confidence that that's going to be the case for these, uh, you know, until whenever that decision is finally made. Mm-hmm. I think last year around this time or even, next, you know, in January, if you would have told Texas fans like, oh, you're going to have a three-loss season, they would have been like, oh, cool. oh, okay, 11-3, and three, right? You know, and then you see like the monkey paw curling. It's like, okay, no, well, it's going to be a shortened season. You're going to lose to these frustrating teams. You're going to lose to probably a not very good TCU team. This long story short, this was supposed to be Texas's year, quote-unquote, under Tom Herman, right? He fired the staff. That was supposed to be the problem all this experience, best quarterback in a decade. It's a loaded question, but what happened? (laughs) Like this is, again, this was supposed to be the year where they took the leap under Tom Herman to be a playoff contender, you know, where they were theoretically supposed to beat Oklahoma, who was retooling when they, when they played and, you know, what kind of, what's gone wrong? It is kind of a loaded question. It's, it's one of those things where, um, I mean, there are a lot of, different things to point at. Um, in the end, Texas has lost three games by, what, 11, 12 points. The two-point loss to TCU where Keontae Ingram fumbles at the one-yard line trying to extend the football, and if he doesn't do that, you know, they maybe punch it in the next time. Um, they lose in quadruple overtime to Oklahoma. Um, they lo- And then this past week to Iowa State where, you know, they make a couple, you know, Tom Herman made a questionable coaching decision to go for it on fourth and two, and then, you know, they barely miss a 58-yard field goal at the end. So it's not like Texas has been blown out. Um, Texas has played these tight games. They've come out on the wrong end of uh, three of them, and um, some of that was coaching decisions. Some of that was this player um, lack of execution from the players. Um, I, I, I don't really know what people were expecting from this year. Um, Texas was, what, 14th in the AP preseason poll. So about a three losses is about where – that is, I think they've probably lived up to expectations. Um, I think most people thought they were third in the, the Big 12 preseason poll, so people were expecting them to lose to Oklahoma. Um, you know, they always lose a game they shouldn't lose, which would be the TCU game. And then, you know, pro- you could probably quibble with the, the Iowa State game, and that, that was one they shouldn't have lost. But you know, this t- Texas team was going to lose two to three times this year. It's what was going to happen. I don't, you know, if people were expecting them to go undefeated, I just don't know what Texas team you were watching for the past you know, four years, four or five years. I mean, this is what Texas does. And so um, I think this season is about what Texas is, um, but that's not good enough for some some fans. And unfortunately, I think there's some other factors um, involved in that um, with some of the fans, the fans and their anger that has nothing to do with football. And had this been a last year and they'd gone um, seven and three, um, I don't think we'd be having the situation, but Unfortunately, you know, Tom Herman decided to back his black players, and this is uh, <laughs> this is where this is where we're at with uh, some very angry fans um, out uh, out here and out here in Austin. Yeah, I think that one thing that is kind of interesting, looking at the totality of Tom Herman's tenure at Texas, is that it's not like things haven't been consistently like very good. I, I think that it's obvious that they maybe haven't gotten over that hump to great as yet. And, and I understand why people, especially with the recruiting that they brought in, why people maybe expected that. But I, I guess to, to ask this question, you know, I mean, 
Two years ago, they won 10 games. Last year's a down year. This year, again, like you said, they're in a position to potentially finish 7-3 and three, but still miss out on the, on the Big 12 title game. I mean, do you feel like Tom Herman has been a failure? Or do you feel – why do you think exactly that, even though maybe the results are not quite as good as what people wanted, why do you think it's kind of devolved like this, I guess? I wouldn't say Tom Herman's a failure. I mean, this program was, you know, at the landfill when he when he took over. Um, you know, Charlie Strong, for as good of a guy as Charlie was, and as much as he's liked around the Austin area, had three really bad seasons here. I mean, he lost to Kansas, um, and that's something that's unacceptable at Texas. And Tom came in, and he's going to have posted four winning seasons, at least three bowl bowl game wins, and this program is better than what it was. Unfortunately, though. Um, with the heights that they, um, unfortunately for Texas fans, um, with the heights that they reached in that 2018 season, they just haven't been able to capitalize on that. Um, last year, going from the Sugar Bowl to the Alamo Bowl, that's a disappointment. Not only for me, uh, going from New Orleans for a bowl game to having to go to San Antonio. Um, <laughs> I mean, we all we, we all know which one's uh, a lot more fun. Um, but for, for fans and their expectations, I think people expected them to, not to pile on Sam and that we're back comment, people expected them to, you know, take that next step and start contending for national championships. They just haven't done that. They seem to kind of slid, slid backwards, or at least, you know, come back to the, the middle of the pack. So um, in some aspects, you know, Tom's tenure has been disappointing. I don't think it's been a failure, but they definitely have not made that next step. And as for whenever we make do the postmortem on the Tom Herman era, whether it's this year, next year, or, you know, maybe 10 years down, down the line, um, there'll be a lot of things to point to. Um, you know, Tom probably came in here maybe a little bit too confident. Um, I remember one thing he said a couple times this year when Texas kept, you know, struggling with its punt games and its punts kept getting blocked and Tom was being like, you know, this has worked for us for six years. It's like, well, you know, this isn't Houston. You know, you have to adapt. You, you can't always be working what, you know, what, what's been working for six years. You need to um, grow and, you know, grow with the times and realize this is a power five conference and not all, and that maybe goes back to, last year's struggle with all the assistants, all of his assistants, except for um, Tim Beck and, you know, Herb Hand, and I guess it would Stan Drayton who had come, to, come, to him, come with him to Houston. Um, sometimes you just got to make changes and you've got to grow and adapt. And, you know, maybe Tom has struggled um, to do that in some, some aspects. But um, this is a very long-winded answer to say that I don't think it's been a failure under Tom Herman, but definitely has not reached the expectations. And I think Tom would, you know, say it too, and so would the players. I do want to kind of go back to the summer because, you know, one of the things I gave Tom Herman a lot of credit for was he was one of the first, probably the first prominent head coach to come out and like vocally support his players and voice his support, especially when considering what Texas players were advocating for in particular, you know, kind of a, a re I don't want to say rewriting, but a reassessment of history and tradition of Texas. Um, he came out pretty vocally in favor of it. And, or at least of opening the dialogue, which even some coaches weren't even going that far. What kind of, I don't want to just say his tone changed, but like, especially after the Oklahoma game, it was definitely more of a, and I don't know if this might've been pressure from Del Conte or from on high, uh, definitely more of a, well, maybe we probably should honor some of these traditions, right? Because I don't know if that was just like a response to fan anger or what, but it seemed like that was more of a, not as much of a 100% backing of what his players was doing after that moment. Uh, yeah, the Oklahoma thing was just a mess um, mm -hmm. overall. And, you know, 
I think I think Sam said it best when he characterized it as a misunderstanding because um, you got to realize the entire team walked off except for maybe like a half dozen um, them, one of them being Sam. And not all those people feel that way about that song. You know, some of them love standing and doing the eyes of Texas and uh, feel it's a part of them and feel that it's important to honor the fans. But because of just how the game ended and how long it had taken for the you know, PA system to start playing that song and they're not being a band, you know, there's just some confusion. So um, the optics of everyone walking out the field just didn't look good. And um, that led to just a lot of anger. And I don't know what the internal conversations were, but you were right. Tom's uh, tone definitely did kind of change. Um, those, uh, you know, following weeks, a lot of, uh, we love our fans. We don't mean to disrespect them, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if Texas won that game, um, would that, would people still be as upset Would the conversation still be the same? I don't think so. I think people, you know, winning kind of, um, the fans would be a lot more willing to hear out the players if they were winning these games. But unfortunately for the players, uh, um, that didn't happen. So um, a lot of their off-field interests, off-field interests kind of get overlooked. But this is something that, you know, happened across the, um, across the athletic department. And, um, you know, it happened with the volleyball team. The volleyball team, who's still undefeated, um, number one in the nation um, during this kind of weird season with only four conferences were playing. Um, their first home games, they huddled um, at center court and ignored the song. And they did it twice. And then after that, they stood on the baseline and they put their horns up. And what happened was um, after that happened, fans got upset, even though this is the number one team in the nation. Um, and, you know, they met with their coach. They met with their team. They met with the Crystal Conte. And, you know, it was, it was expressed that, you know, some fans felt that they were being disrespectful and that they needed to kind of find a different way to address the situation. And I think they came up with a good compromise with um, them staying on the court and putting their horns up and not singing the song, um, not singing something that they didn't believe in, but also not disrespecting an oversensitive fan base who, um, you know, obviously wants them, wants them out there to pay homage or whatever, pay their respects or whatever that nonsense is. But um, I, I think this probably some give and take. Um, Jared Elliott, the volleyball coach, had, you know, some good things to say about it when he was talking about their decisions to switch up what they were doing. And, you know, he's, you know, kind of like, you know, it's our job as coaches and administrators to kind of, you know, help guide these players who are, sometimes they're young, sometimes they kind of put their, you know, foot in the ground and refuse to budge and they don't see the other side of it and they don't see the fallback. And, um, you know, these athletes kind of got a crash course in that this year. And so I don't know exactly what Tom's conversations were with Chris. I'd imagine they're probably somewhere similar to what happened with the volleyball team and they found a way to um, compromise. And to be honest, I think the players probably – we're tired of answering those questions too. And this was a way for them to just, we don't have to sing the song, but we also don't have to, you know, have nothing but conversations. Cause I mean, that's all that was the next, uh, you know, couple of weeks was, Oh, why, why didn't you all stay out there? You know, why was Sam the only person you guys abandoned your team? They blah, blah, blah. You know, Sam's a hero. You guys are, you know, you guys are all awful people. And I think they just wanted to, you know, they wanted to take back their narrative, take back their message. And that was a way that they did it. And Tom, you know, he's in a tough, tough spot. I don't envy, um, I don't envy him because, you know, yes, he wants to back his players and he should back his players, but you know, his players also aren't the ones that sign his checks, and his players aren't the ones who are, you know, hitting him up for. He has to, you know, hit up for donations and 
you know, hear from when, you know, traditions are being stomped on and all, all that stuff too. So Tom was in a no-win situation. I think he tried to navigate it the best he possibly could. And um, was it perfect? No, but I don't, if I was in that situation, I don't know if I would have handled it any differently or any better. And I don't really think anyone could have. Um, it was just a weird situation and it is, it is what it is. I think Sam was also like, it was, it was also awkward for Sam because like, he's obviously, you know, a, li- a li- Texas lifer and like, you know, very much the prototypical Texas quarterback, like, I mean, state of Texas quarterback, where you think of high school, college, everything in the state of Texas loves, loves what he does, loves his schools. And so like, he obviously would be the guy to be out there, but he's also like the perfect lightning rod to be like, look, he's doing it, quote unquote, the right way. And like, you know, it put him in an awkward situation where it's like, I wasn't thinking of it, thinking of it like that. I was just kind of out here as the quarterback and, you know, doing what I think I should be doing and not necessarily representing everybody and so it kind of put him it kind of put him in an unfair situation too because it put him kind of as a versus or as an uh, the antithesis of what his team was yeah and, you know like I said Sam is was in an even worse I don't want to say worse but even a weirder situation than than Tom was I mean dude like you mm-hmm. said Texas is Sam, Sam Allegra is Texas football we've, yeah. we've seen that photo since the day he committed of him putting his horns up as a he one year old or however old he was in that photo. Well, I, I've never means. seen that photo, never on a broadcast. <laughs> um, he uh, obviously the school means a lot to him, means a lot to his family, means a lot to the relationship that he has with his late father. But you know, he's also a team captain of this team. And you know, if there's one thing that you know about the Longhorns, um, I think the biggest way to characterize Sam's leadership is what his black teammates think of him. Um, you know, his black teammates love him, and they have mm-hmm. for since he got onto campus, they will, they all cape for him, um, regardless of the conversation. And sometimes you can tell when people are being fake in interviews and that's just never, you've just never gotten that um, sense. I remember when he were down in the Sugar Bowl, Devontae Davis, who was a starting cornerback, um, saw Drew Brees Westlake High School jersey in some storefront and bought it for him because, you know, he hmm. wanted to, you know, pay homage to his, his quarterback, Gary Johnson, who's, you know, black linebacker from, Alabama um, named Sam the godfather of his kid you know so there are these black athletes respect and love Sam and they voted him a captain twice but that just puts him in a weird situation because he wants to support his teammates he's been very vocal in supporting them since um you know the since May um when you know all this you know racial injustice um stuff started to come to the forefront but he also loves that song he also loves the school and it was just a weird situation for him to be in and i I would imagine that he hated being pretty much the, for lack of a better term, the white knight of uh, Texas fans who saw him standing out there by himself and decided that he embodied everything that Texas football should be. Um, but that just was what it was. And, you know, he's uh, had to navigate a very sensitive subject uh, throughout the season. And, you know, I respect him for the way that he's handled it. Cause once again, if I was in those shoes, I don't know how, yeah, how how I how I'd handle it, and it was just not an easy situation for him to for him to be in. Let's get one more question uh, before we get you out of here. So, th- there's a lot of talk every single year, every single coaching cycle about the difficulties of coaching at Texas, and I guess for you, you know, you've been on the beat a couple of years at this point. I mean, I guess what do you think is, I guess, sort of a key to success to being successful in this job? Because when Tom Herman took this job, it felt like all these things were lining up, obviously. And, and 
for them not to kind of work out, I mean, do you kind of feel like there's something that Tom could have done different? And, and I guess the flip side is, do you think that there's something that if they do look for another candidate, and obviously, I mean, the Urban Meyer stuff is out there, but uh, if, if they do look for another candidate, I mean, what should they kind of be looking for for someone who can manage a program like Texas? I mean, the key to the key to this job is winning. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it seems it seems simple, but you know, if you win at Texas, uh, you know they'll they'll love you forever. You start to lose, they'll get rid of you like they got rid of Mac. They'll get rid of you like they were happy to get rid of Charlie. And you know, if they get rid of Tom, it's not because of you know Tom's attitude, or um, you know, it's not completely because of what happened this summer. It's because they weren't winning enough. So. Um, I'd imagine if they do try to look for a new coach, they'll probably try to look for someone who's won at a level that isn't a group of five school, as was their last uh, two hires with Charlie and um, Charlie and Tom, try to get someone a little bit more established. But in the end, you know, I could take over that job. And if I go 14 and 0 next season or 13 and 1, you know, I'll be loved forever. If I go um, 2 and 2 and 10, I'll be. Uh, Back here, back here on the pod, uh, you know, chat, chatting about <laughs> chatting about Texas, Texas football. Um, it just it's just a matter of winning. As simple as that, as simple as that seems. I know it's a lot harder than than that, but you know, you win at Texas, you'll be you'll you'll be you'll be good to go. But as soon as you start winning or start losing, and start as soon as Texas becomes irrelevant in um, a Big Twelve championship chase that's going to include Iowa State um, this year, um, then your troubles are troubles are going to be coming. Well, you can read all of Danny's work in the Austin American Statesman. You can follow him on Twitter at AAS Danny. Danny, thank you so much for joining us. Right, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Danny Davis for joining us on the Republic of Football. Always great stuff from him. Definitely going to be interesting to see how these next couple of weeks go. Uh, but let's go ahead and get right into it. We've only got seven games. And by the way, you better set your clocks wake up early because out of the seven games, five of them are 11 a.m. games on Saturday, which sucks. I do I mean, I guess it's not the worst thing because I'll have plenty of time to work, but... Oh, I hate it. <laughs> I know. I hate it, too. I hate it, too. But, uh, and also, the game that, that we have to stay up for is not worth it. <laughs> but no. Let's start on Thursday. We got North Texas hosting Louisiana Tech. This is one of those makeup games. 5 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. North Texas is actually a one-point favorite heading into this football game. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on North Texas after last week? I, I don't know why this team isn't better. You know, that, that's really yeah. my biggest takeaway is I don't know. Because, I, again, I, I feel like they have the coaches. I, I do feel like they have the right guys calling the plays. I think that they have scheme fits. I think that they've recruited well. I think they've developed pretty well. I think that they have pretty good players almost everywhere. Uh, again, I think quarterback has kind of been an issue, but it's just there's not like something that you can point to that's gone wrong. It's just been like all these little things that have added mm -hmm. up, and all of a sudden they've just kind of been a disaster. Yeah, which kind of makes it confusing as to how they're they're favored, right? You said they're right. Favored? Yes. Yeah, all that adds up to me, like, I don't know, like, are they just that low on La Tech? Which, I mean, granted, they haven't been, they've been fine. They haven't been great, really. I think to their standard, they're probably a letdown, but... I mean, they beat UAB the last time I don't know, I mean, out. they have a win against UAB. Yeah. I was about to, yeah. yeah, exactly. They have a win over UAB, and it's like, I mean, maybe, is it the layoff thing again? Which, it again, is, fair. You know, five we, weeks. We, you know, it's, it's, uh, there, there's a thing about COVID rust. 
Um, but I just, I don't know, because I, what is this offense going to be for North Texas? Like, who, who are they going to roll out there? What's the play calling going to be like? Because, again, unless they know for sure who the guy is, like, that, that play calling has been all over the place because, you know, they don't really nail down who, what their identity is unless they for sure 100% know who's going to be lining up behind center. Right. Yeah, I, I just don't get it. Um, I, I don't really get what North Texas needs to do different. I mean, because early in the season, it was obviously turning over the ball. Uh, but, you know, these last couple of weeks, I mean, Jason Bean has really regressed as a passer. And so I don't, I don't think that North Texas is going to be able to have consistent enough offense against Louisiana Tech. And I know mm-hmm. it's been a long layoff, but the funny thing about that is that, you know, North Texas had a five-week layoff too. And Sure. It didn't really hurt them that much, you know. Sure. So I'm not saying that it won't play a part in this football game or impact this football game, but I certainly just don't think that North Texas is good enough to just go out there and say, well, because you had five weeks off, North Texas is definitely going to take advantage, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, 100%. I'm wondering, because I know didn't, didn't La Tech struggle with some injuries at quarterback too? I know Luke Anthony missed, like, I think the UTSA game or something, and – um they were they were hobbled I feel I feel like they were hobbled there I might yeah be. yeah um and but long story short I think I've I I think he played against UAB uh I think they played two quarterbacks against UAB and I feel kind of confident that they're gonna win outright yeah no I I just don't think that's I, I think that North Texas is gonna pack it in after this and I just don't I don't see it going especially well so right moving on uh whew. Exciting. Wake up in the morning with Texas Tech versus Kansas, 11 a.m. Oh on, I, I don't think that I even realized that there was an FS2. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and actually, it was, when, it was when they were trying to do the whole, like, literally carbon copy of ESPN thing. <laughs> How's that going, man? Just, just <laughs> pick, pick a lane. They canceled oh, all their shows like a year in. <laughs> man, we got to see if we can get a, we, we, we got to see if we can get a show on FS2. I'm sure that they're looking for content. <laughs> <Well>, we can <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's the network we want to be on, but uh, what what do you think Tech is favored by in this? Oh, book? that's a good question. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say minus twenty and a half. Twenty seven and a half. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Sure. Um, I mean, Kansas sucks. Like Kansas. Yeah. No. No. no don't get me wrong. So Kansas bad. is bad. Um, I was just, I was being a little bit more skeptical on like, do they think tech could blow them out? Um, cause 20 is comfortable, but 27 is like foot on throat. Like at no point are we thinking about this game again? Um, I feel like Kansas can cover that by like a touchdown. So I, I will say I was very much prepared to come in here and be like, obviously Texas Tech is not going to win by that much. And then I looked at Kansas's results. Oh no. And they have, Oh no, I'm saying they, it now. Oh, they have lost geez. one game by 21 points in big 12 play. And that was their closest football game. <laughs> oh, so now I get it. Um, now I see the vision. <laughs> mm. Nope, you know what? I'm sticking with it. I think Kansas yeah. covers because they, they, I'm looking at the games now. So they lost to West Virginia 38 17 and yes. Iowa State 
52-22. And yes. do I think that Iowa State is a touchdown better than Tech? Yes. Or 10 points better than Tech? Yes. So I can see Tech winning by like 20. I'm going to stick with that. I think they, I think Kansas covers by like a touchdown. Flip side, Baylor beat them by 33 and TCU <sighs> beat them by 36. So that, that's, yeah, the, that's the issue. <laughs> uh, nope, I'm doing it. I'm sticking with it. I think, okay. I think Kansas sneaks that out. It's, oh, I was going to say it's Kansas' last game. They have Texas still. Um, <laughs> right. It's Kansas's last game to do something. I'm gonna say they. I'm gonna say they squeak it out. The flip. But maybe side. it's just I'm also like very skeptical of just like of tech in general. Yeah, um, yeah, and and that's fair. That's fair. Um, I think for me the thought process is more. First of all, it's Tech's last game. They're gonna be the second team, and I believe the only other team to make it through a season without interruptions. Knock on wood. Um, and uh, and so I think that this is going to be like a like a release spot for them and. The other thing, too, is that it finally seemed last week like they just started to truly trust their run game and just let them go off. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, look, if I was like, okay, well, Alan Bowman needs to dice them down the field. They need receiver. You know, and I, I think that there's a chance that that could go inconsistently. But, you know, if they're able to win that battle up front, their tackles have played a lot better. I, I think they're going to be able to run the ball with relative ease. Uh, on this mm-hmm. Kansas defense. And I think they're going to try to do that is the other thing too. So um, I think That's it's a good point. Yeah. I think it's going to be about 28. Um, like, I don't think, I don't think tech is going to play like a, some giant perfect game or anything like that. But I do think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do think that they've looked a lot better these last couple of weeks, um, obviously, you know, winning a couple of games, uh, winning against Baylor rather. And, and then obviously taking Oklahoma state to the wire I think that this game against Kansas is going to be a big opportunity for them to just kind of do what they're supposed to do. That, that's the only way I describe it is just do what they're supposed to do um, and win some, something along the lines of like 42 to 14, you know, just something sure. like that. I so, can see that. Moving on. Uh, we got Texas versus Kansas state 11 AM on Fox. Texas is a seven point favorite heading into this football game. Who but they talk about a potential letdown game. Um, <laughs> right. I think jeez. Oh, I'm gonna say Kansas State wins outright. Wow. I think <laughs> I think here here's the thing. Texas is defeated, man. They are like cap, team captains, two team captains opting out. They don't they have literally nothing to play for anymore. I agree. Um, I think Sam Ellinger will play good um, because, of course, he wants to end his career with potentially, you know, I don't know if he'll play. In, oh, actually, he'll probably play in a bowl knowing him. Um, he, he wants to get as Kansas good of a bowl. Left. He has Kansas left. Right, right. I'm, I'm saying, like, but he wants to, like, end his season as good as sure. possible. So, like, he's going to play hard. Yeah. I just see this as a absolute letdown scenario, like a completely deflating you know, because I don't, I don't see that happening against Kansas, obviously. So th- no. that this is why this week is the week where I feel like Iowa State's, you know, it was deflating, but like it, in a vacuum, it's not that bad of a loss. Iowa State's good. I, it's Manhattan. There's always trouble in Manhattan. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just feel that this is their, this is their letdown. This is where they look back on the season and they say, oh boy, that game, like. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I 
and the thing the thing is like Kansas State's not that great like they're not what we thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year we've said that a bunch of times who is their quarterback healthy I don't even know like I still think they're playing Will Howard um there but I I feel like Deuce Vaughn might be in for a big game yeah I don't know I I'm trying to talk myself out of this but I can't I, I keep coming back to like a disappointing scoreline for Texas at the end of this game. So here's my argument. Kansas State is going to cover, but they are just not good enough to even, like, sneak up on Texas. Even even though, like you said, every letdown spot available, like, I think that Kansas State's going to go up early, for example, but they are just not good enough. Oh, they've lost four straight games, including a loss to Baylor, who has only beat Kansas other than that, they, beat, they lost to West Virginia by 27 points. They lost to Iowa State 45-0. to They did play close against Oklahoma State, but again, Oklahoma State has been a very inconsistent team. And I just, again, I honestly don't see Kansas State just being good enough to even be able to sneak up on text at this point. Um, you know, over the last couple of weeks, in their last two games, they haven't had a 100-yard passer. Right, last week against mm-hmm. last week against Baylor, and Baylor's an okay defense. Like Baylor's fine. Um, uh, Will Howard threw for eighty-eight yards. Right, like I agree. Deuce Vaughn is gonna go try and do things, and he's awesome, and he's gonna break away for at least one big touchdown because that's what he does, and he's awesome, and we love him, and we mm-hmm. can't believe that that these idiots let him get out of the state of Texas. But at the same time, like it. If Deuce Vaughn does that three times, then that means that Kansas State has scored 21 points because they have no other way to do it. And so I think that it ends up being a really ugly low-scoring game that makes everybody feel bad about themselves. But I think that Texas manages to win the football game. And the other thing, too, is I do think that we're going to start to see some younger guys get in the game. And I think that some of them are going to be more motivated than some of these, uh, some of these upperclassmen who, are, who would just be completely let down. So I do think that that's going to be a factor. That's fair. I think hmm, I'm trying to think of like when's the last time we've seen the Texas offense play well? Oh man, it was uh, let me pull up their schedule, but I believe it was like week three. Like not Sam Ellinger, like the offense. Because Ellinger was like okay last week. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was pretty good. I mean, considering especially considering where yeah, but especially considering where he's been this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think that's fair. Uh, The last time that their offense looked good was. Uh, was when they forced overtime against Oklahoma. And in overtime, they didn't yeah. look good again. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I, I mean, Will Howard's not good. Like, I think oh, we were terrible. comfortable saying that. Awful. Um, but I, I don't think it's that out of the realm to be like, oh, Deuce <laughs> Howard has, has two to three touchdowns on the ground. Like, I really don't. Like, again, he, it's not, I'm not basing that off precedent because he obviously hasn't done, you know, he hasn't had that big of a game yet. But, like, I feel like there is a combustible element to like where Texas currently is mentally. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I mean, the the big thing too is I do think it's going to be interesting to see who kind of steps into that role for Caden Stearns because they're going to have to be ready, right? Mm Because Deuce Vaughn's going to they're going to attack, right? They're going to they're going to try to get him down the field. They're going to have him running routes. They're going to have him doing everything. Like he's been their entire offense this year since uh, Skylar Thompson's gone out. So I, again, I think that I think that Texas is going to be able to, you know, just do enough to look good enough 
to make just enough plays. And, and it probably will be something like, a, oh, my gosh, Sam Ellinger makes a last-second play and wins the football game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's going to be ugly. But I, I do think that Texas is going to manage to win narrowly. Mm-hmm. But moving on, we've got TCU versus Oklahoma State, 11 a.m. on ESPN2. Oklahoma State's only a two-and-a-half-point favorite in this football game. Really? They have not been the best. I, I will absolutely say that. Um, sure. I mean, it's, it's been a weird year for Oklahoma State, right? Because, I mean, they've been, they've been fine. Their two losses are to Texas and to Oklahoma. And the Oklahoma mm-hmm. one is obviously just so embarrassing. Right. But they haven't – I mean, you kind of look at their conference schedule. The only team that they've blown out is Kansas. Like, they beat mm-hmm. West Virginia by two touchdowns but didn't look great doing it. They only beat Tech by six. They only beat Kansas State by two. They only beat Iowa State by three. So, like, this team should be better, right? Like, this Oklahoma State team should be a lot better than they are. Right. Um, No, they definitely should. I think the biggest thing has been – I think Spencer Sanders has been trying to work his way back. Um, Obviously, he's battled – He's been out a couple games, and he's still, like, obviously last year took a toll on him as well. So, like, he hasn't been 100%, but he's also still very much been the quarterback that he was last year in terms of, like, turning the ball over. And, obviously, it doesn't matter what weapons you have if you just constantly give the ball back to the offense, to the defense. Um, But, yeah, no, they have been weird because I think think we all expected to see him take a step forward, and they haven't. And – I, I go back to him because, like, we know what Chuba Hubbard can do. We know that Tyler Wallace can do. And so you can only kind of only other point the finger in the other direction. <laughs> um, and especially because their defense has been pretty good. Oh, they've um, been am- I think they've been amazing. I think they've been right, fantastic right. this year. And so I think you kind of go back to what they have at quarterback because it's either Illingworth or him. And, you know, Illingworth has been fine except for really that Tulsa game. But um, – He's well, and then actually, I will say, Illingworth also, because uh, they brought in a second guy first against Tulsa. When Illingworth came in, they actually played a lot better. And, and actually, okay. you look back, actually, at some of their better performances uh, that Oklahoma State's had, right, those first three games. And, and they were against mm-hmm. Tulsa, West Virginia, Kansas. I'm not trying to, like, overrate, uh, you know, what they did. But I actually think in a lot of ways that offense looked better with Illingworth in the game. And, and also – uh, it's been really weird to watch Chuba Hubbard because it looks like they've been better when other running backs have been the main guys. I, I don't yeah. really know what that is. I don't have like an explanation for that. I, you know, just, just watching them, just the eye test out there, you know, I'm, I'm sure that mm-hmm. there's stats that probably say that I'm wrong, but it just looks like they are a more cohesive unit when Shane Ellingworth is in at quarterback and when LD Brown or last week, it was a, what's his name? De- not Desmond Jackson. Uh, by it is Desmond Jackson so yeah when yeah. Desmond Jackson was at running back last week uh I again I have no explanation for it because obviously Spencer Sanders and Chuba Hubbard are fantastically talented players but right. I don't know it, it just seems like they've been better when those other guys have been in that's fair I think I don't know so the problem the problem with this is it almost doesn't matter what TCU's offense will be to me because I feel like this game hinges on what Oklahoma State does. Sure. If, because this is a game, which we always kind of talk about, where they could give the ball to TCU in some very good scenarios. Yeah. And I don't trust TCU's offense to drive the ball, but if you spot them the ball at the 40, I can trust them enough to get in scoring range. Um, 
And yeah, I'm going to take Oklahoma State to cover, but this, the more I think about it, the more I'm not that surprised by the line because we do know this is a very Jekyll and Hyde offense for Oklahoma State. I mean, that Texas game was an absolute travesty where they outplayed him in every single way and just gave the game to him. So I could see very much TCU hanging around because Max Duggan was spotted the ball at the 40 and the 30 because Spencer Sanders fumbled or threw a pick. So the one, the one area where I'll push back a little on, um, on it doesn't matter what TCU's offense is doing is that, oh my God, we can't have the Max Duggan we've seen the last three weeks. Because That's very true, very true. He has completed over his last three games 47% of his passes. And now I will say, I will say credit to Max Duggan for posting one of the funniest lines I've ever seen as a quarterback against Kansas. Mm. Three for 11 with three touchdowns for 96 yards. <laughs> uh, and, and again, I think I mentioned this on Sunday. He didn't have a single completion to a receiver or a running back. They were all mm-hmm. the tight ends, and they were all touchdowns. I don't know yeah. what the hell that is. Uh, I don't know what's going on with him. Um, but, but the reality is, yes, I think TCU's running game is really good. I think that Zach Evans is proving that uh, that he is who he thought you know who we thought he was, um, mm-hmm. and he can be a guy who you can build your offense around. But I. This Oklahoma State defense is too good for you to not be able to challenge them down the field. And I think, well, I, th- I think the one thing about that, though, is when they have been gotten, it's been on the ground. So yeah. I feel like this is going to be – granted, now, when they know that Max Duggan can't throw, you know, they might just abs- – they might be able to neutralize TCU's running game. But yeah. I feel like this is a game where we could – this is it's a it's a it's a very rare very very rare strength on weakness matchup for tcu's offense (laughs) a very 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 rare fair so yeah i mean i think oklahoma state wins it's gonna be an ugly game it's gonna suck i'm gonna watch every second of it and i'm gonna hate myself so (laughs) moving on it's a great way to summarize that's that's true of a lot of football this year man yeah it's gonna suck i'm gonna watch all of it yeah like i'm I'm sitting here praying that i get a chance to watch gavin hardison prove himself like that's that's what it's come to (laughs) okay uh we still got two more 11 a.m games by the way texas a&m at auburn 11 a.m on espn and um a seven point favorite heading into this game i'm terrified of this game Sure. I, I, I'm terrified of the letdown for, for AM. Um, I'm trying not to let last week get too much in my head. Like, you know, LSU's, they found some things that worked recently. They're not as big of a tire fire as they looked against uh, Missouri, Mississippi State at the beginning of the year, but they're still not very good. And I'm hoping that was just bad Kellen Mon get that out of the way. Um, but Auburn's also kind of figured some things out about that they they've kind they've kind of figured some things out like i wish we i mean they they blew out lsu like you know they beat a pretty good old miss like i wish we would have got that mississippi state game because if they would have just blown them out then i would have been like okay we have some things to worry about here but i don't i think i think alabama's just a machine like i don't, I don't want to take them getting blown out by alabama's something indicative of where they are i i 
I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, all I'm going to say is I'm worried about this game. I'm sure, really worried. Sure, sure. So for me, first of all, I, I do think that the one thing that LSU can do that really caused AM some issues is I think that they have very talented defensive backs. And, uh, you know, they're, they're young. They're not, as, they're not as experienced as they were, obviously, last year. Um, but, you know, they have the ability to man up A&M's receivers, and A&M's receivers are not good enough to win all those one-on-one battles against super talented defensive backs. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, so I know that there was a lot of flack on Kellen Mond after that game. But, like, if they're not going to get open, you know, there's only so much you can do. Uh, yeah. And I don't think that Auburn has that same ability, um, to that extent, at least I'll say. And offensively, I mean, I, I think that I think that the biggest advantage that Texas A&M has on every team this year is that front. And I think that they're going to be able to play relatively straight up without too much help against Auburn's run game, which has been very good this year behind Tank Bigsby. Mm-hmm. I think that they're going to be able to, to man them up for the most part because of those four guys that they have up front who are winning all these battles because of the linebackers that are playing at a very high level right now, especially Buddy Johnson. Um, And if they're able to kind of just take away, not take away, but if they're able to limit the run game with just those six or seven guys, Mm. I think that they can absolutely make Bo Nix's day hell because Bo Nix is not good. He's not very good. And I see that's the thing. He's, he's figured something out. He's not the core. Like, so I'm going to, I'm going to read off. He, he posted the first month of the season. He was atrocious. He posted – he had one good game against Kentucky. He posted a 44.5 QBR against Georgia, a 49.6 against, against South Carolina. Since then, 84.4, 94.6, 60, 67 against Tennessee, and 73.2 against Alabama. He's figured some things out. He's not – at the beginning of the year, he was looking like a recruiting bust. Like, Absolutely don't think he's on that level anymore I, i'm not gonna say he comes out and lights lights up AM's defense but he is somebody who i think that they can't take he's they're not gonna it's not a it's not a tj finley of last week let's put it that no, way no, it's no. not even a it's not even a i can't even remember who the other quarterback they threw out against uh, who cares? against yeah who cares the other lsu guy that's not miles brennan um it's not that i no, think no, he's no. a capable average to above average starter right now in the sec i think now granted you can also say that the sc does not have good quarterbacks right now outside of mac jones and kellen mon probably but i kyle do trask. think he is <laughs> and kyle, of course kyle, yes of course kyle trask so those three but like you can say that after those three it probably takes a plummet but yeah i will argue that he is in that next category which is not terrible right 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 and i also think auburn's defensive line is still really good not as good as it's been in the past, obviously, but I still think they're a force to be reckoned with and something that AM has to account for. I think those in combination with Auburn's running game could spell a problem. So here's my counter to that, okay? So first of all, I think that a lot of this depends on how much you value Bo Nix's performance against LSU. Because LSU obviously did play very well defensively against uh, against the pass specifically last week against AM. Um, but you know, obviously 
they've been an inconsistent unit all year. And, and that's his, like, signature performance, right? It's 300 yards, three TDs, no interceptions against that LC defense. I'm a little surprised, I have to say, that uh, that QBR liked his performance against Alabama as much as it did. I mean, obviously, none of yeah. us really know what the uh, – I mean, I guess maybe at a rushing score, that kind of helps a little bit. Because um, he was I'm 23 for 38 for 227 isn't – like that's fine. It's not. I think. Good. I think to be fair, like the QBR score is fine. Like a, right. a plus seventy QBR is right. okay. He had um, two picks. He's not saying. Yeah, he had two picks. And granted, I don't. I, I'll have to go back um, to watch those two picks. See how atrocious they were. But right. he didn't. Again, he didn't necessarily light up the scoreboard and light up the field. But I think there is something to be said about Alabama just probably being miles ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I'm I'm fine with him just not being okay against Alabama. But like. You know, it, it sort of is, again, he had an amazing game against LSU. Ole Miss, he was good, but Ole Miss has a garbage defense. Tennessee, mm-hmm. he was okay. Tennessee's not very good on defense. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I'm just like, I think my question just ultimately becomes, because you even look at those games early in the year, right? He plays Kentucky, Georgia. Right. Uh, oh, you know, oh, trust me, first month he was bad. He right, was but, bad. but the other thing that I'm asking, though, is, was it that he got better or was it that he just stopped playing good defenses? You know, like that's, that's more yeah. my question. Yeah, that's fair. That's I mean, fair. that game against Alabama, I think is better than where he was playing early in the year, regardless. Right. Like mm-hmm. I do think that that's fair. I think he was, he's better than he was early in the year. I just don't, I think that if you ask Bo Nix to go out and win the football game over Texas A&M, I think Texas A&M is going to win. I, I just don't think that, I don't think that he's good enough to go and beat because, because A&M, they have a balanced offense. They're not going to be especially explosive, but Isaiah Spiller is something you can rely on. I think that their offensive line can win that battle against Auburn's defensive line, even though it's going to be much closer than usual weeks. Um, I think that Auburn's defensive backs aren't quite talented enough to truly man up AM's wide receivers and take them away, which, by the way, AM's receivers have to win these matchups. They, they can't keep you know, they can't keep going down the field and not getting open because then again, mm. none of this works. Um, and I think that Kellen Mond is, is better than Bo Nix. So I, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. So I, I think, I mean, seven's a lot, especially on the road. I, I'll say um, the, the one thing that I'll say at least about that is that I do believe that this season we've to some extent, at least seen the, the home road Kellen Mond thing go away a little bit, not mm-hmm. a lot, but a little bit. I, I think he's been better. Obviously, great game against South Carolina, great game against Mississippi State, great game, you know, pretty good game against Alabama. So he has been better on the road than what he's been in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, Boy, are you looking for a tender to start that conversation up again? Because <laughs> if he comes out and lays an egg against right, Auburn. <laughs> right, right. No, totally fair. Hey, but then I'll just point back to, hey, well, he was also garbage against LSU at home. So, you know, right. he's actually being very consistent. So I'm going to pick and A&M to cover. I, I think it ends up being like 10 points. I think I actually think that this game looks a whole lot like last year's game, except the mm-hmm. opposite, where, you know, Auburn – Auburn had just a couple of plays where they were explosive and then just completely like suffocated AM on defense. And I think that that's going to be a lot of what the game looks like for Texas A&M winning against Auburn this year. So we'll see who's right. We'll see who's right. Uh, moving on, we got Rice at Marshall. Oh boy, that's not good. 11 a.m. on ESPN Plus. Marshall is a 23 and a half point favorite. Tell, me, tell me one thing that Rice can do against Marshall. Oh boy. They can come out and enjoy a good game of football. 
they can uh, they can get on a plane to West Virginia in the middle of a <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I'm surprised they're not trying to call this game off. Honestly, <laughs> um, they have. What do they have? Okay, here's a better question. What do they have to gain from playing Marshall? <laughs> um, they will get a payout from Conference USA for participating in football. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they can go... I don't know. I, I have no real words for this. <laughs> I got nothing interesting to say. I can't even if go... you haven't figured it out, I think uh, Marshall's probably going to cover. <laughs> I mean, 23 and a half is a lot. Uh, I, I will say Yeah, that. and Marshall will probably score a lot. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, they will. And just going through, Marshall is a number 21 team in the country, by the way, despite yeah. it has to be said, it's really hard to get ranked from Conference USA. Like, it's, oh, 100%. Yeah. Because, you know, with the, the way that you look at rankings, um, you know, a lot of it is built around, you know, this is, this is a little bit of a, of a tangent, but a lot of rankings are built around knowing that you'll have opportunities, per se, to move up in the rankings, right? So, like, mm-hmm. The reason that a lot of teams are ranked in the SEC is because a lot of teams we know should be ranked in the SEC, right? Like Alabama's mm-hmm. going to start the year ranked, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU. Like that's a big part of it. And with Conference USA, there is no team that's ever going to start the year ranked. So it's always harder to, to become ranked as a Conference USA team. All that to say, that's why Marshall being ranked is especially bad news <laughs> because Marshall is really good. Their, yeah. their last game, they beat Middle Tennessee 42-14, UMass 51-10 before that. FAU competed 20-9, but FAU is also probably the second-best team in Conference USA. 18-point win over La Tech, 24-point winning over Western Kentucky, a win over App State. I mean, this is, you, this is bad news. <laughs> yeah, do you think that, like, when – because this is a rescheduled game from September 8th. Yeah. Do you think that when Rice was agreeing to reschedule, you know, at that time, I think – they still hadn't played a game, obviously, but uh, you know, at the time, Marshall beat—they blow on out East uh, East Kentucky. Whoever right. cares? Uh, they beat uh, App State, and Rice was like, "Yeah, let's get a shot at Marshall." You know, they're two and zero. They got one good win, and then they just slowly started to see the season. They're like, "Oh, oh no!" Like, they, they just slowly started to see Marshall just steamroll everyone. It was like, "Oh, we made a mistake." Yeah, it is funny because. The two games, and, and the reason that, that Marshall and UAB are the last two games are because Rice started their season on October 24th, so those two games were actually canceled, like, before they even started the season, right? So mm-hmm. they just immediately slotted them on the back end of the season. But, like, you got to be kicking yourself if you're Rice, right? Because you rescheduled Marshall and UAB and then lost UTSA, LaTeX, and UTEP. And now, I don't think that you want to play UTSA. Like, I think that that's yeah. bad news for you. But LaTeX and UTEP are two pretty manageable games that you mm-hmm. will not get to play. <laughs> so, yeah. and it, instead, you gotta, you got to go play against Marshall and UAB. That's yeah. <laughs> not fun. Life comes at you fast. Life comes at you fast. Uh, I think that Mike Collins is going to have a perfectly okay game, and we're going to feel okay about it. So... Yeah, that's fair. Marshall wins by a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're finally at the last game. Speaking uh, of wins by a lot. Uh, so this game, this game, Baylor versus uh, Baylor at Oklahoma, by the way, not even versus uh, 7 p.m. on Fox, Oklahoma favored by 22, which is a line I'm absolutely taking. Uh, 
there is some thought that this game might not happen because sure. Oklahoma is dealing with an outbreak within their program. But at the same time, uh, Mac Rhodes yesterday on, on a radio interview said, we'll have more clarity in 24 hours. It's been 24 hours and we haven't canceled the game. So yeah. it might be happening. And uh, yeah, not, not great. Um, I, I, have some, uh, I have some friends who were asking me like, okay, you know, these last two games of the year, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, like, is there any chance against Oklahoma? And I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh boy. Uh, so, so, so I do want to ask you one thing. Yes. What has to happen for us to get in by us? I mean, like in combination of Charlie Brewer and Larry Fedora, what has to happen for us to see the aggressiveness that we've seen when Charlie Brewer's played really good? Iowa State, Kansas State game performances. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, because one thing that I'll say, and obviously this is a very different, this is a completely different staff. Like these things aren't related. But like last year in the Oklahoma game, we saw Baylor be so aggressive to start the game. Like immediately, 100%. they started throwing down the field, like trying to catch OU off guard, and knowing mm-hmm. where they could take advantage, right? And, and like their offensive line was like really insane. Like the best right. performance I think I've seen from a Baylor right. O line in years. Right, right, right. And so. And then obviously, you know, it did fall apart. But but you did have to start the game that way. That's how you have to start these games against a team like Oklahoma. That mm-hmm. is because also the other thing too is that you were trying to goad Oklahoma into throwing the ball early with Jalen Hurts, which is not what they wanted to do. They wanted to be able to pound it down your throat. Mm-hmm. Um, this year is different, obviously, because you know Spencer uh, sorry Spencer Rattler the wrong Spencer there Uh, Spencer Rattler is obviously a player who can take advantage of you down the field and make your life very difficult um so I think that I think that if you're Baylor though man you you gotta you gotta get RJ Snead involved early you gotta get that tight end passing game involved early you need to hit a shot to Tyquan Thornton I mean Tyquan Thornton has to be just like so pissed with the way that he's been used this season because they can't Mm. get the ball to him um and, I mean, I, I do think that you have to find a way, obviously, to also mix in some running game with that, which has been a real struggle for them. So, for, for Baylor to make this a game, they have to turn it over a lot. For uh, They have to turn over Spencer Rattler a lot, which is something he's been a lot better at avoiding the last couple of weeks. But it's mm-hmm. still something that he has done. I mean, it's not something that's gone away. And you really need to hit a shot early that forces Oklahoma to open up their defense and spread it out. Like, that's, that's what you have to do. There's no yeah. other path. And right. obviously, I don't see it happening. Yeah, no, this is definitely, like, Baylor's defense definitely caught Spencer Rattler, like, a month and a half late. Yep. Because if this was the Spencer Rattler in October, you'd be like, hey, this is, you know, I'm not saying they win, but this could be, you know, I'd take him probably to cover. Right. Um, Spencer Rattler decided he didn't want to throw interceptions anymore, and he's been really, really good. Yeah, um, and also you would have had Terrell Bernard back then. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, man, this game could not have come at a worse time for Baylor. Um, yeah, you you have to just see what see what you can get. Like it's it's weird. Like we knew Oklahoma would probably get into gear eventually, but I still think there was at least for me, I still think there was something a part of me that expected them to still be like that, like I mentioned with uh, Oklahoma State, that Jekyll and Hyde kind of team where, you know, they're in it, then they're not in it, then they're in it again, then throw it away or something. But they haven't been that, and you know, basically since the Iowa State game, or really, I guess Texas, Texas, the Texas game would be Mm. a better, um, uh, I'm trying to look at their schedule to see. Yeah, probably the Texas game was the last time they were that way. Um, 
but like yeah you you you're gonna have to you can't come out and be you know tentative you can't come out and be this is a defense that can be had granted they played better and perhaps really good um the last couple stretches but it's still a defense that can be had on any given day and you have to be able to exploit that. And we've seen, again, that's the frustrating thing. We've seen Baylor and Charlie Brewer be able to do it. And I don't know what the benefit is of taking this game tentatively um, is because obviously in, in, in games where you, Baylor's favored, the situation is okay. You don't want, you don't want to have three and outs. You want to be able to control the clock. You want to be able to, you know, not make mistakes because you feel like you can, you can dink and dunk your way down the field and, you know, eventually exploit certain teams. Hasn't worked, but that's the idea. You can't do that against Oklahoma. And I, again, I just hope that it doesn't take them going down 21 nothing to be like, hey, maybe we should throw to the first down marker. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that's finally it. It's mercifully over. It's, it's going to be a bizarre weekend. Um, yeah, I... It's one thing to have five games at the same time. It's another thing to have five games at the same time at 11 a.m. And it's another, another thing to have five games at the same time that are all pretty bad. <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> What, okay, so so let's ask this. Okay, let's bring yeah. in our friends from North Texas Honda Dealers. Oh boy. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Which we gotta, team? We gotta send some help somewhere. Yeah. Which team could use a helping hand from North Texas Honda Dealers? Um, who are you looking at? Who? So I think because I feel like because uh, let, let's make, let's put it clear. Uh, let's make it clear. The problem I'm having is picking one. <laughs> so i think i think that um the way that we have to think about this right is we gotta we gotta think about it from the perspective of where is it going to create the most value Ooh, right okay. Okay. so so for me i'm looking at the a and m auburn game yeah okay. i think that that's i think that that's the only truly meaningful game that's happening this week we're gonna learn a lot i think about some of these teams but like in mm-hmm. terms of like stakes it's really this AM Auburn game for me. And so for me, uh, I think that probably the direction I'm going is, I think I'm getting some extra work in with those wide receivers. I, I think that I'm going to help them work on some route, route running. I think that I'm going to stay late with them, get some help from North Texas Honda dealers, uh, may, maybe get some, uh, maybe get some stick and snuck into those gloves. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I, I think that that's probably the move that I'm heading because again, if AM wins this game, I mean, they are, home free they're gonna finish as a top five team have a chance to make the playoff though you know i i guess they they haven't had the right to beat indiana so i don't know whether you know whether i i don't know whether that's enough to make the playoffs since they didn't beat indiana rutgers but uh but you know they're gonna have a chance there and uh mm-hmm. yeah you know this is this is the last big proving points yeah that's a good point um i'm gonna go with hmm i'm gonna go with baylor's front seven sure because their secondary it's a given their secondary is already gonna have a hard time but without terrell bernard that linebacking core is gonna be seeing a lot of hell from a lot of those playmakers um and the only chance they really have is making spencer rattler's day as create as hectic as they can on the blitz and on the pass rush 
So I'm going to say that you got to generate something because if you don't, he's, you know, Spencer Rattler's, he's learned to not make mistakes if you don't pressure him into anything. And so, again, the X factor is going to come into forcing his hand, you know, getting pressure on him, maybe getting him uncomfortable in the pocket, making him roll out and, you know, get a little uneasy um, because that's – those are the games where he struggled. And if Baylor wants to have any chance, it's going to have to be with that front seven. Definitely. Definitely agree. Well, that's going to do it for us. Uh, like I mentioned, you can find all of our work at textfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Gamble's Text Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. Become a subscriber at textfootball.com slash subscribe. We're going to have a whole lot of content up even when the season is over, but we still have a few games left. Uh, thanks to everybody for joining us as always. We'll talk to you guys again on Sunday.